You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كما أرسلنا فيكم رسولا منكم يتلو عليكم آياتنا يتلو عليكم آياتنا ويزكي كِيكُمْ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمْ مَا لَمْ تَكُونُوا تَعْلَمُونَ I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, Ever Merciful. We have sent to you a messenger from among yourselves who recites our signs to you and purifies you and teaches you the book and the wisdom and teaches you that which you knew not. Chapter 2, verse 152 Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah barakatuhu. May peace be with you and the mercy and blessings of Allah. Welcome to Understanding Islam, Series 7. In this series, we will be covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah. And we will take this from his own words, which is found in the book Malfuzat. Today, I am joined with a few youngsters. So may I first introduce Hanan Ashad, Ikan Ahmed, and Basil Aziz. So welcome all. So first of all, Hanan, can I ask you to read a passage from the book Malfuzat about the topic we want to cover today? Malfuzat, Volume 1 A universal sign in support of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, said, Another sign in support of the awaited one is that in his era, during the month of Ramadan, the solar and lunar eclipses will occur. Those who ridicule divine signs in fact mock God himself. For the solar and lunar eclipse to take place after the claim of the awaited one is something that no one could possibly forge or fabricate. Before this, no such solar or lunar eclipse has taken place. This was a sign by which Allah the Exalted was to proclaim the arrival of the awaited one throughout the entire world. And so upon witnessing this sign, the Arabs have also proclaimed its truth, as is their nature. Wherever our announcements could not reach to serve as public pronouncements, this solar and lunar eclipse announced the coming of the era of the awaited one. This was a sign of God, completely free from human machination. No matter how strictly philosophical a person may be, they ought to reflect and contemplate that when the appointed sign has been fulfilled, it necessarily follows that the one in whose favour the sign was manifested 
must also be present. This was not a matter that could have been predetermined, because it was stated that the sign would be manifested after a person who claimed to be the Mahdi had appeared. The noble messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also said that no such incident would have occurred from the time of Adam to this Mahdi. If anyone can historically show otherwise, I shall accept. Okay, thank you, Hanan. Today we're going to be talking about the signs of the eclipse. And this is what we call a heavenly sign. It's a very important sign and most important of all the signs that we're going to be discussing. You have quoted that the promised Messiah, Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, has said, Another sign in support of the awaited one is that in his error, during the month of Ramadan, the solar and lunar eclipse will occur. So we're talking about a solar and lunar eclipse, but first I think it's important to understand what is a solar eclipse. So Ikan, do you know what is a solar eclipse? So I haven't personally seen a solar eclipse myself, but from the textbooks I have learned that you see a full moon and then you see a half moon and then you see a quarter moon and then finally the eclipse happens when the moon is darkened but you see the sun around the edges of it like a halo and then after a couple of days you see a thin crescent of the moon and then a thick crescent of the moon and then a half moon and then finally a full moon. Yes, thank you for that. That shows the different stages that the moon passes through, as you said, from a, a full moon going all the way down to half moon, quarter moon, going to the crescent, and then finally we get this eclipse. So the eclipse actually is happening where we have the sun and we have the moon and then we have the earth. Now we know that the moon is going round the earth and the moon and the earth are going round the sun. Of course, in the olden days, they thought that the earth was the centre of the universe and everything went round the earth. But nowadays, we have telescopes, we know perfectly well this is not the case, that in our solar system, everything is going round the sun. So the sun is the centre of our solar system. But we know that the moon goes around the earth. So it's an alignment where it happens, where there is the earth and directly as we look towards the sun, the moon comes in to a position of direct alignment. That causes an eclipse. Now we know that there is what we call the dark side of the moon. It's not literally dark. It means that because the moon is not generating any light itself, the light is being reflected from the sun onto the moon. So from our position on the earth, we can see this full beam of the sun onto the moon but because of the position of the sun and the moon this is how we see the dark side which you can't see and so you see a light and as you describe when we see the whole of the light it's a full moon and then as the moon is turning away so it becomes less and less and less until it comes that crescent and, and then finally if there's an eclipse then it seems like the whole of the moon, we're seeing the dark side of the moon, all the light is coming on the other side. So we're only seeing the opposite side of the light. So it's what we call the dark side. So we're seeing the dark side. And as you say, with a solar eclipse, 
because the, the light of the sun is hitting the moon, we still see the edge of the sun. So there's a light, like you described very nicely, a halo going round the, the dark side of the moon. So this is what we see. Now, of course, we understand that it's casting a shadow onto the earth. And so it's only a small part of the earth that shadow comes onto. Even in the UK, if we have an eclipse, not the whole of the UK will see that eclipse. Only part of maybe the southern part of the UK or the northern part of the UK will be able to see the full eclipse. Others will see just a little bit lesser because of the angle that they're looking towards the moon. It only creates a full eclipse in a certain part of the earth. And in other parts, they will see a lesser part of that eclipse. There will be partial, what we call a partial eclipse. They will see the eclipse happening, but they will still see a, a bit of the sun because they're not looking directly in that alignment. Now, of course, we should not be looking directly in the sun anyway. And this is why when people go to seek out the eclipse, they should not be looking directly at it. Sometimes they wear special glasses or through a telescope. I think they also get this cardboard and they pinprick in it and they look through the pinprick. So it's quite dangerous to actually look at the eclipse itself because you're looking also at the sun, you're going to get the beam of the sun and so on and so forth. But this is a unique thing that happens, which we call a solar eclipse. The solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes between the earth and the sun. So it's in the middle of the earth and the sun. And so from our view, from the earth's view, when we're looking at the sun, it becomes blocked out by the moon. So even like I say, it's a total or partial, depending on where you are and how you see it. So this is what we call a solar eclipse. Ikan, do you understand now more about what a solar eclipse is? Yes, I do. That is very informative. Okay, this is what we call a solar eclipse. But what is a lunar eclipse? Okay, so again, Anan, what do you think is a lunar eclipse? Okay, you're having a puzzled look on your face. So first, let's explain what solar and lunar is. So solar means sun. Lunar means moon. Okay, so when we have a solar calendar, then it is a calendar measuring the sun, which becomes 365 days. When we have a lunar calendar, which Muslims follow, it is following the moon. So you go from the new moon to the next new moon, which is 10 days shorter than a solar calendar. It means that every year it'd be 10 days less than a solar calendar. This is why Ramadan will move forward 10 days every year because it goes from a new moon to the next new moon. So we're talking about now a lunar, which is the moon. So what do we mean by a moon eclipse, a lunar eclipse? So have a go. So for a moon eclipse, is it the similar procedure for a solar eclipse? So instead of the sun reflecting its light onto the moon, the moon does that. Basil? I think it's the same thing. The, the difference is just the view from a solar perspective and a lunar perspective, which I think it's just a different of few days. The, the Muslims follow the lunar calendar. So for them, it's a lunar eclipse and the non-Muslims follow the, the solar calendar. 
So for them, it's the solar eclipse. But the procedure, the process of this, this natural phenomena, it's the same thing, in my opinion. Okay, a lunar eclipse. A lunar eclipse occurs when the moon moves into the Earth's shadow, thereby making this that the Earth's view of the moon becomes dark. Now again, this can only happen when there is a full moon. So basically, you've got the sun, you've got the Earth, and then you've got the moon. So when you get that alignment, where you've got the sun shining its light, and then the sun is hitting the Earth, that is now causing a shadow which covers the moon. So you can't see the moon. So it's got to be a direct alignment of these three. And, you know, like you can think about yourself when you are standing, the sun is bright, it's causing you a shadow. What is that shadow? The shadow is where the light is hitting your body. And obviously there is darkness where the light can't get to. So basically this is what shadow is. So the same thing is happening here, that the sun is shining its light. The moon is tucked behind the earth. And so now the earth is casting its shadow onto the moon. And so it becomes black. Whereas before, the moon was being hit, and that was causing a shadow landing on the earth. Now it's the opposite way. Now the earth is causing a shadow on the moon. And as the moon is passing around the earth, so again the same pattern, it will get light and then suddenly it will get dark and as it moves around it comes light again. So this is known as a lunar eclipse where the moon has now become dark and again like I say it's completely dark. There is a, a lunar eclipse and a partial lunar eclipse. The partial lunar eclipse is not complete done but the lunar eclipse is when you have this where I say you're looking out and in the olden days of course they suddenly see the moon and it goes black and they, ah, it's a, what's happening the end of the world and so on and so forth because they didn't understand the eclipses and as I said in the olden days everything was coming around the earth so why would there be this alignment that would happen so they didn't understand what eclipses was until the invention obviously of the telescope and so on and so forth where they started understanding the space and teaching you youngsters Okay, this is the solar and lunar eclipse. So do you understand now the difference between the two? Yes. You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Now, the next thing we have to understand, of course, is that whilst one happens very regularly, the other happens very rarely. and Again, only in parts of the world can be seen. So not the whole earth gets covered. It's only a part of the world where you get this eclipse. And this is why you see people hunting the eclipse. They know that it's going to happen at a certain time in a certain country because now we've got the, the knowledge where we know exactly when eclipse is going to happen. And so they will go to that particular place to watch the eclipse. In this particular hadith, saying of the Holy Prophet, both the solar and the lunar eclipse happens on the same month, in the same place. So this is a rare thing to happen. And this is what we're trying to show here, that it's a heavenly sign. The promised Messiah is talking about this hadith, this saying, where it would happen. So I think before we move on, it's important to know what is that saying of the Holy Prophet. 
Basil, can you read this hadith, this saying of the Holy Prophet, explaining about this famous sign? Muhammad bin Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, said, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, Surely two signs will appear for our Mahdi, which have never appeared before, since the creation of heaven and earth. In the month of Ramadan, the moon will be eclipsed on the first of its nights, and the sun will be eclipsed on the middle day. Both these eclipses will take place in the same month of Ramadan, and these two signs have never occurred before since Allah created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so it's an interesting saying of the Holy Prophet, and it relates to the Imam Mahdi. Here he's making prophecy that there will be this heavenly sign. There are a few points we need to understand. First being that there must be a claimant of Mahdi. So this is important, that someone needs to claim to be the Mahdi. I mean, it may happen. If it happens, eclipses may happen. But if there's no Mahdi, it's not being associated with the Mahdi. So this is a sign for people to see that this is now the time of the Mahdi. The second is that there will be two eclipses, which will happen in the same month of Ramadan, as we said, a solar and lunar eclipse. Now he has said that the first eclipse will happen on the first day of the three days of the full moon. And the second eclipse will happen on the second day of the three days of a full moon. The last point is that this has never happened before and it will never happen again. In the hadith which you mentioned here, it just says that the eclipse will be on the first of its nights of eclipse and the sun will be eclipsed on the middle day of its days of eclipse. But again, we need to understand this, that it's not literally saying that it's going to be the first day of Ramadan and the middle day of Ramadan, which some people say. The eclipse can only happen with the full moon, and with full moon is for three days. It means that on the first day of the three days, the eclipse will happen. And in the middle day of the three days, the eclipse will happen. Again, we need to understand the phenomena of the eclipse, how it works. And obviously, as I said, that it's only happening in a certain place, a certain time. And when it happens there, sometimes it will only be a very short time. But the full moon will be there for three days. And it will happen on the first day of the three days or the middle day of the three days. So the eclipse itself is not going to last for three days, because obviously the earth and moon is moving all the time. It's only for a short period. But it means that on the first of the three days, the eclipse will happen, and on the second of the three days, the eclipse will happen. Both these will happen in the same month of Ramadan, and when there has to be a claimant of Mahdi. Now, we have records. We can go through these records and we see that this has not happened before. Obviously, there has to be a claimant of Mahdi as well, and it hasn't happened since. This is something where the scientists, as I said, they can tell us exactly when the next eclipse is going to happen. It's what we say a heavenly sign, that it's not man's creating eclipse. We can't hate this eclipse. This is something where planets and sun will align to create that happening. So that's only God that can tell us these things, especially in a time of the Holy Prophet where there wasn't any telescopes, where they didn't know such a thing. So the Holy Prophet would never have had this knowledge 
that this was going to be happening. So he is saying 1500 years ago that this is going to happen, this is going to occur, and this will be showing the proof of the Imam Mahdi. This is what we say why it's a miracle, it's a heavenly sign from God. Now, this is important because prophets, they need to have the signs, they need to have clear signs. Now, with the holy prophets, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was shown many, many signs, but we say that the heavenly sign was in fact the Holy Quran. And this is what we say that the knowledge in the Holy Quran is beyond man. You know, what he's been saying, man can't know these sort of things. It is a heavenly sign. So likewise, this, although we're going to go through many, many signs of the Messiah, this is referred to as the heavenly sign. It is a clear sign from God. Now let's go through this and try to understand this heavenly sign much more. We've been mentioning about the Hadith, but also we find that in the holy books, it has also been supported and explaining about the Hadith. Can I ask you, Anan, to explain from the verses of the Holy Quran about what it says about the eclipse? A'udhu billahi min shaitanir rajim, bismillahi rahmanir rahim. And the moon is eclipsed, and the sun and the moon are brought together. Chapter 75, verses 9 and 10. Okay, you chose to do it in Arabic as well, so that's fine. From this part of the Holy Quran, it talks about the moon is eclipsed, and the sun and moon are brought together. So what does it mean? So again, not literally that they're going to clash and smash into each other, but it's talking about the darkening of the moon, how it becomes eclipsed, and that the sun and moon are brought together again, indicating this eclipse. Okay, thank you, Hanan, for reciting the Arabic. And now let's move to the Holy Bible. And Basil, can you give the passage from the Bible, please? But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. Okay, thank you for that. Now, here in the Bible, we see that in those days, what days? It's talking about the latter days, these days. After that tribulation, it's mentioning about the tribulation before, which we believe again was the coming of Islam. And that's the tribulation that's been mentioned in the Bible that everything will change and that new teaching will come. So after that, talking about the latter days, but in those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon will not give her light. So how can the sun be darkened? The sun, obviously, is fire, you know. It's a ball of fire. It can't be darkened. Well, hopefully not. That's the end of the world if it does expire and gets darkened and blows up. And the moon shall not give its light. So you know that the moon actually doesn't give light. We know now that it's the sun reflecting its light on the moon. The moon itself can't generate any light itself. That's why, as I said, you've got the dark side of the moon. So it's talking about eclipses. The sun is darkened and the moon will not give its light. It's again referring to the eclipses. So again, we find in the scriptures, in the Holy Quran and in the Bible, mention of this eclipse that will happen in the latter days. And we believe the latter days will be at a time of the Imam Adi promised Messiah. Going back to the passage which was read from Malvazat, the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, 
said, for the solar and lunar eclipse to take place after the claim of the awaited one is something that no one else can possibly forge or fabricate. Here it's very clear, there has to be that claimant. The awaited one has to claim to be the Madi. We're not talking about any other time where there is no claimant of Madi. It make no sense. This is a sign for the Imam Madi. So someone has to claim to be the Imam Madi. So as I said, that he claimed to be an Imam Mahdi, I think it was 1890 or 1891, I'm not sure exactly what year. But this eclipse in India, where he was, where people of India were, happened in 1894. It happened in the month of Ramadan, exactly as was forecasted, so that the people in India, where the claimant was, saw this. Now, interestingly enough, although this is very rare, in 1895, the next year, the same thing happened in the US of A. Although, obviously, that's not where the claimant was, it is showing from the east and in the west this sign so that the whole world can see that this is the time of the Imam Mahdi. You see it in India and you see it in America. Records are there and we've seen that since that time, it's never happened again. And there's never, you know, you've got to look at the claimant of the, the Imam Mahdi but it's never happened before. So this is, like I say, what we call a heavenly sign. Again, in that passage, this is repeated by Hazrat Mazagalam Ahmed, Imam Mahdi, the Messiah, who said that before this, no such solar or lunar eclipse has taken place. So he himself has referred to this, that this hasn't happened. Now, like I say, we have records, and these records can go well back. And these scientists can show, and it's there, you can check this up. You see the records. But obviously, you've got to look at the correct dates. We're talking about lunar calendars, so there's no point going to a solar calendar, a lunar calendar, and when there should be a claim of the Mahmadi. You can go far back into the records anyway, and there's never been any two eclipses happening on these precise days during that month of Ramadan. So again, it's got to be in the month of Ramadan. So during that month of Ramadan, and of course, since that time, again, it's never happened since. Again, going back to the passage that we began with, Hazrat Meza Glamamad, may peace be upon him, has continued to say that this was not a matter that could be predetermined because it stated that a sign would be manifested after a person who claimed to be the Mahdi had appeared. After Hazrat Meza Glamamad, may peace be upon him, claimed to be the Imam Mahdi in 1891. Muslims themselves quoted, as I said, this hadith and said that he was a false claimant because it had not happened. Every year during that month of Ramadan, they waited for the eclipse to happen and mocked him when it didn't until 1894 when it happened. Hazrat Mazaglam Mahmud, may peace be upon him, continued to say, that the noble messenger, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also said that no such incident would have occurred from the time of Adam, may peace be upon him, to this Mahdi. So this is remarkable. From the time of Adam to this Mahdi, no such sign has been shown. But then this grand heavenly sign was fulfilled in 1894 in the eastern hemisphere of the earth. 
And then again, as we said, in 1895, in the Western Hemisphere, where the US of A is. Therefore, this sign had in fact been shown to the whole world. So this is why we use this sign and promote this sign, that it is a, a proof to the claim of Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmad. Now, one of the objections is that who narrated this hadith? And it's related from Dar Kutni. Now, Dar Kutni is not one of the six authentic hadith books. This is in a lesser hadith book. So Muslims will claim, look, this is not from one of the six most authentic books. This is from a lower person. So it's a false hadith. How do you think you can now answer this objection? Basil? I think if one is not relying on the hadith only, there are verses of the Holy Quran and the Bible as well supporting this heavenly sign. So I think if we are to ignore the hadith and just rely on the verse of the Holy Quran alone, I think it would be sufficient. I was going to say the same. As in order for a hadith to be rejected, it should contradict from the Quran. And if it doesn't, and then you need to make sure that like, is it sensible? For the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, would say that. And because it's mentioned in the Quran, because the hadith is supporting it, then the hadith should not be rejected. So as Ikan and Basil have said, if the hadith is not authentic or is not reliable, always go back to the main source, which of course, as Muslims, is the Quran. And then from the Quran, we can then go back to the hadith and say, look, there is similarity in the Quran and the hadith which talk about the same thing. You are listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Okay, very good. Now, as you said, we have to look at the Hadith itself. Does it contradict the Holy Quran or not? We've already shown that the Holy Books support such a thing. Now, just because Hadith is not found in one of the six most authentic books doesn't mean that we should just reject it. It just means that those narrators haven't recorded such a thing. But how do we know whether it's true or not? And this is what you've been saying, that we have to then look at the content that it's saying. And if it is going against the Holy Quran, of course, we would then reject it. But this is a sign which apparently the Holy Prophet said, and it got fulfilled. The fulfillment of itself proves that this hadith is authentic. If it didn't get fulfilled, then of course you can question the hadith. But if it happens exactly as was prophesied, that in itself is proof of the truth, that it must be a true hadith. So this objection should not be raised. And as I said, the thing is that the Muslims themselves were quoting this particular hadith, whether Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, was true or not. So they themselves were quoting it, that this hadith is correct, you are false because it hasn't happened. So then say that when it actually happens, now you're false because the hadith itself is weak. This is wrong. Of course, the hadith is always guidance for us. Yes, no doubt, it can be fabricated. We can say this. But we say that the Holy Quran, this is 100% authentic. It's the word of God that can't be fabricated. But if the hadith supports the Holy Quran, then we can use that. But if it goes against the Holy Quran, of course, then we can reject 
such a hadith. So this is a sign that the Holy Prophet has said that this is a sign for the Imam Mahdi. Now, of course, many Muslims today will question whether the Imam Mahdi is really true. Is he going to come or not? And there are so many hadith about the Imam Mahdi, which if they all got fulfilled, it would become impossible because they are contradicting in nature. But just because there are many false hadith about the Imam Mahdi doesn't mean that every hadith has to be rejected. Both the Sunnis and the Shiites are expecting the Imam Mahdi. It's not something which they're not expecting. They are expecting, they're waiting him to come. So how? How do we know who is the true claimant? Because there's been Imam Mahdi's before. One example, of course, was the Mahdi from Sudan who rose up against the British government at that time. Same period, of course, as Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed. But with Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, I say, this was fulfilled in his time, in his area, exactly as the Holy Prophet had said. This is how we can find out. It's one, it's not just because the hadith happened, although many people did accept Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed after seeing this sign, but it is one of the signs which goes into support of his truth. And this is what I often say to people that look, you know, you're waiting for the Imam Mahdi. How? How are you going to know who is the Imam Mahdi? It's not that the, the scholars say that this person's Imam Mahdi, this person's false. We ourselves should judge that person. And one of the criteria found in the Holy Quran is the signs that a prophet from God has to be showing signs. In this particular case, having that extra sign of a heavenly sign. So this is something remarkable. As I said, with the Holy Prophet, the heavenly sign was the Holy Quran. And all Muslims agree that this is a heavenly sign. It's a book from God itself. Having that extra support proves that their person is a true claimant. So this is the claim that we say, that the heavenly sign was there to support the Imam Mahdi. After he made that claim, in the month of Ramadan, these two eclipses, the solar and the lunar eclipse, had to happen. And it all happened together. It's never happened before, and it's never happened since. So for us, this is a clear sign to the proof, to the truth of the promised sign. This is what we're doing in, in today's radio program that we want to go through these signs to show whether he has fulfilled these signs. But this one, I think, is very, very clear. So again, I'll ask you, what do you think? Is it clear or is there any doubt still? Me personally, I believe there is no doubt, there's nothing wrong with this hadith because not only does this hadith support the teachings of the Quran, but it is also a valid hadith which has been fulfilled during the time of the promised Messiah. May the blessings of Allah be upon him. So, Ikan, you want to ask a question? So, we have been talking about the eclipse, but I think there is an eclipse prayer. Can you please tell us a bit about it? Uh, yes. Do you know anything about the eclipse prayer yourself? No. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. It's very rarely uh, that we perform the eclipse prayer. How often do we see eclipse? Only when you see the eclipse yourself. There's a lot of superstition evolving around the eclipse that why it occurs and what does it stand for. But in the time of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he did do the eclipse prayer. And when there is an eclipse, so there is a prayer that we do. Now, of course, there are, as we've been talking about, the solar eclipse, 
and the lunar eclipse. In Arabic, the solar eclipse is called Kusuf, whereas the lunar eclipse is called Khushuf. Like I say, when this happens, when there is an eclipse and they can see, obviously, that, well, these days we know exactly when eclipse is happening because of the scientists, they can tell us. But in the time of the Holy Prophets, if they see this happening where the sun is starting to get darkened and losing its light, as I said, people didn't know what it was about. And the Holy Prophet was explaining that this is a blessing from Allah and we should remember Allah and pray to Allah that it's Allah that gives us this light, whether it's spiritual or physical light. And Allah is one that can remove this physical and spiritual light. So here is an example where Allah is removing this physical light. So we should be praying to Allah, remembering Allah, that Allah doesn't remove the spiritual light from us, instead increase us in our spirituality. So what happens is that it's a congregational prayer. So it's not a prayer which you do by yourself, but you do it in congregation, normally done in a mosque, but wherever you decide to meet up, whether it is in a field or at a person's house, depending on how many people, and you line up just like a congregational prayer with an imam and the people lining up behind him. Then the imam will recite Surah Fatiha and a long passage of the Holy Quran. And there is two rakats in this prayer. But the unusual thing about it is that in every rakat, a rakat is a series of movements from standing, bowing, back to standing, then to prostration, to sitting, to prostration, and then back to standing. That is a normal rakat. But with the eclipse, there's actually two rakus, two bowing positions are performed in each rakat. So after the recitation of some passage of the Holy Quran, then they will go into the bowing position, the raku, and then when they come back to the standing position, which is called qiyam. He will then recite some more passages from the Holy Quran and then go back into the bowing position. So this is different to a normal prayer. He come back into the raku, the bowing position, for a second time. Sometimes we see, actually, in some hadith, sayings of the Holy Prophet, that the Holy Prophet even performed three rakus in one rakat. But anyway, after that, then the Imam will go into the prostration, the sajda position, and after praying for God's enlightenment and help and so on and so forth, after completing the first sajda position, the same pattern happens for a second time. The Imam will come up for the second rakat series of movements. And then again, when he will go into the bowing position, he will come back to the standing position, again come back down to that bowing position, and then again going into the prostration, what we call a sajda, and again doing lengthy supplications, praying to God, and then finally going to the sitting position and finishing the prayer. Once the two rakats has been completed, and I said each rakat this time will have two bowing positions instead of the normal one, then the imam will deliver a small sermon explaining about the eclipse and drawing the people's attention to the importance of asking forgiveness from God and how we should reform ourselves and develop our spirituality. So this, like I say, is a very rare prayer. Not many people 
prayer because it only happens when the eclipse happens. But this is how the Holy Prophet taught us to do the eclipse prayer. Thank you for telling us about the prayer. It happened during the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Can you tell us about any hadith relating to it? Yes, there are many hadith sayings of the Holy Prophet about what happened during his time. There's two that comes to my mind. I don't know if it was the same incident or whether it was two different incidences. But the first one that comes to my mind is when the Holy Prophet's son, Ibrahim, who was his last son, who was born to Maria, all his other children were born to Khadija. But sadly, he passed away after about, I think it was 16 months. And at the same time that he passed away, there was an eclipse. The people were a bit superstitious and thought that maybe the two were connected, that because the prophet's son had passed away, so God was mourning by causing this eclipse or causing the moon to darken. As I said, this was back in those days where they didn't understand too much about this. The people were saying that this eclipse had happened because of the death of the Holy Prophet's son, Ibrahim. So the Holy Prophet explained to them that the sun and moon do not eclipse because of the death or life of anyone. But when you see the eclipse, then you should pray and you should invoke Allah for his blessings and nearness. So this was one occasion. Another one that comes to my mind, these are both from the book Sahih Bukhari. And it could have been exactly the same occasion, I can't remember, that Hazrat Aisha, the wife of the Holy Prophet, was performing the eclipse prayer behind the Holy Prophet. And her sister came and asked what was happening. So her sister, Asma bint Abu Bakr, because they're both the daughters of Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him. She came and saw her sister, Hazrat Aisha, her younger sister, standing doing the solar eclipse. She asked that what's happening? Why are the people standing for prayer at this particular time? And Hazrat Aisha pointed to the sky, to the eclipse. Her sister Asma said that, is there a sign? What is this you're doing? And so by pointing, she was indicating that, yes, there's a sign. We're doing the eclipse prayer because of this sign. Obviously, you're not allowed to speak during the prayers, so she couldn't explain what was happening. Her sister came, found everyone in congregation, asked Hazrat Aisha that what's going on, and she just raised her hand to the sky to indicate that uh, this is what we're praying because there's an eclipse. And so she then, of course, joined the prayer. It was a very long prayer, as I mentioned. Whether it was the same prayer or not, I'm not sure. It could have been or it could be in two separate incidences. But these are two hadith that I can recall from Sahih Bukhari about the eclipse. You are listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Thank you very much. That was very informative. So we have been talking about the eclipse. I have a question, which is a bit different. To what we have been discussing at the moment. Is there any other special or important prayer that we do? Yes, there's a few. Do you know of any? Some which are not done very frequently. 
which would be the Janaza prayer when someone passes away, or the Eid prayer on every Eid. Okay, have you ever heard of the Iskahara prayer? Yes, when you are asking God to show you a sign. Okay, good. I mean, especially for someone young like yourself, sometimes what university or mainly what a lot of people request is for marriage, <laughs> looking for a, a wife. So we say that you should do this Kahara prayer yourself and ask other people that pray for me that is this a good choice or not. It is a special prayer and you're asking for guidance. Some people think that they will act upon whatever God says. It's, it's just guidance, just like you go to your parents or anybody else for guidance. It's still responsibility of you to make a decision. But you're trying to seek God's help in a particular decision. Now, with the Iskahara prayer, the way I would pray it is that I'll do it for seven days. And I think it's important that you do it for seven days. Even if you see a sign or many signs, still complete the seven days. The last thing at night, just before I go to bed, I will do this prayer. And it's a set prayer that you say. It's a normal two rakats prayer. Two rakats, as I mentioned before, is two lots of movements. It's just you add a special prayer, which is called the Iskahara prayer, at the end. There are some conditions to it. It should be the last thing you do before you go to bed. So you shouldn't do it and then go and watch TV, talk to someone or anything like this. Just before you're about to go to sleep, you should pray this prayer. Again, it's important that you only focus on one thing. Otherwise, you'll confuse things. If you ask for a marriage proposal and, oh, I want to know about which university, oh, and please tell me about this and that, then if you get an answer from God, which one is it relating to? So it's very important that you focus on only one thing. And let's say, for instance, what most people ask for is about a proposal marriage. Your parents has found you a proposal marriage and you want to know whether this is a good match for you or not. And so you do this Gahara prayer. You can ask some other people to do this Gahara prayer, mainly your parents and people that are close to you. They should have a connection with you because then they're going to be putting more feeling towards it. You pray this prayer and you ask God, particularly for this thing that you want to know about, and then, like I say, you go to sleep. Hopefully you get a dream, you get some sort of signs, some sort of feelings will happen. Each night, just before you're going to bed, for seven nights you should do this. And then, at the end of the seven nights, focus on what's happened, whether you've seen a sign, whether you feel inclined to that decision, or whether something bad has happened which would obviously warn you against such a marriage or whatever you're praying for. Again, the person you've asked for, whether it's your parents or things like that, they should again for seven days and then give you an answer. So it's not that, you know, you see some sign and you don't tell what it is. You're asking for someone to tell you what's been happening. So this, like I say, is just guidance. And sometimes we don't fully understand the dream, so you can maybe write to the Khalifa asking him to explain the dream, or if you know anybody who understands the dreams and can explain 
But I always think that when you see dreams or some sort of sign, how you feel within yourself. And this is what I always go by, but how I feel within myself. So if I've seen something, no matter if it's good or bad, if I feel good, then I will take it as good. Likewise, if I see something which is maybe good or bad, but I feel bad, I feel worried, I feel concerned, I will take it as a bad thing. So that's my general way of looking at these dreams. Because again, with dreams, it can be confusing. It's not going to be a direct yes, no. And it can have many other factors. You may see a person. It could be a person's meaning of their name. It could be other things which you're not focusing on. It's not so clear with dreams. And that's why there are some people who do understand dreams. If you know such people, you can ask them. But generally, I always go by my my gut feeling. So if I do this Kahara prayer, or someone's requesting me to do this Kahara prayer, I would generally go by how I feel my reactions after doing the seven days prayers. If I haven't seen a sign or I haven't seen a dream, but I feel okay, then I'll give that positive response to that person. If I feel a bit concerned, I will give that concern to that person. It is an important prayer. Again, we're saying that it's not something that you do often. But it's a good way to find out. And as I said, mainly for people of your age, it's usually about marriage proposals that your parents have found someone for you and you just want to have some sort of guidance whether this is a good match or not. So that's the Iskahara prayer. Any other ones that you can think of? Not at the top of my head, but I think there is a prayer for the new year. For the new year, that generally is just a normal prayer. Normally we do the Tajid, and sometimes doing congregational Tajid. And Tajid is the night prayers, voluntary, nuffle prayers, up to eight rakats. So you can do two, four, six, or eight series of movements. It depends on how much time and how long you're doing the prayers for. I always think that Tajid prayer is best alone. Sometimes we do do it in congregation, but it's a prayer for me, I think, that during the day I'm doing so many prayers in congregation, this is the prayer that I look forward to at night. So I do the Tahajid prayer at night. But sometimes people will, especially at the new year, they will do the congregational Tahajid prayer to see in the new year. One of the prayers, of course, is the prayer for rain. Now, in this country, <laughs> we get plenty of rain, so that's not an issue. But if you're from Pakistan or a hot country, sometimes there's a drought. And so you can pray for rain. And again, in the time of the Holy Prophet, occasionally they did ask him to do the prayer for rain. So again, this is a congregational prayer. People come together and the imam wears a sheet of cloth over his outer garment and will do, again, a two rakat prayer. So two sets of movements. And during this prayer, he will do a special prayer about the rain prayer. And again, with the time of the Holy Prophet, they did request him, and I believe Wayne came very quickly after that. Travi prayer, I'm sure you know about the Travi prayer. So what is your understanding of Travi prayer? Travi prayer, if it's done at the mosque, if it's a hafiz, he will complete one part of the Holy Quran every day. And by the end of Ramadan, he will have completed the whole of the Holy Quran. And if the Imam is not a hafiz, then he will go through any part of the Holy Quran. 
In the time of the Holy Prophet, the Chuavi prayer actually did not happen. It happened in the time of Hazrat Umar, the second Khalifa. And some people were getting up early for the Tahajjud prayer, which we just mentioned. And people were saying it's difficult that we have to go out in the early mornings to do the farming and so on and so forth. And so he said that if we do it after the Isha prayer, congregation, not Tajid prayer, but it's called Turavi prayer. But it's the same thing. You're going through eight wakats, two at a time. And the idea is to complete the whole of the Holy Quran, as you said. So if the Imam is a Hafiz, one who's memorized the whole of the Holy Quran, he will try to complete one part each night for 30 nights. And because there's 30 parts in the Holy Quran, so the whole of the Holy Quran will be completed during these times. But if the Imam is not knowing the whole of the Holy Quran, then as you said, whatever he knows, he recites. So it is a way to attain more blessings. It's a nafu, a voluntary prayer. Some people still do the Tajid prayer afterwards. I do myself. If I do a congregational Tawari prayer, I will still get up early morning, pre-dawn, to do the Tajid prayer. But that's my choice. It's just to get more blessings. But again, it is a prayer only for Ramadan. So there are many other small prayers that you can do for special occasions. But these are some of the main ones. But as we said, I mean, this is just for your information. It's come a bit off the subject. But it's nice that you asked this question. Thank you for telling us about the heavenly signs. Is there any other heavenly signs that you could maybe tell us about? I mean, we will be discussing in these classes about various different signs that the promised Messiah, may peace be upon him, received. So we'll go through these ones. The heavenly sign, as we're saying, is something which is unique. It is only something which Allah can do. And that's why we call it a heavenly sign. And that's why I mentioned earlier about the Holy Quran being the heavenly sign for Holy Prophet. Other signs that we're going to go through, these can be doubted that it could be coincidence or something like this. But a heavenly sign is a clear sign. And so this is why, as I said, when we look into the truth of a prophet, one of the criteria to know that truth is whether Allah is supporting him with what we term a heavenly sign. So signs are there. The help of Allah will be there. These are all things which helps us to understand whether a person is truly from God. But a heavenly sign is something much more special. And as I said with the Imam Mahdi, the heavenly sign had been predicted, prophesied by the Holy Prophet. And this is what we're going through today. The other signs are there. They're also equally important. But I think a heavenly sign is far greater. We'll leave the signs and you can decide whether you think, as we're going through these signs, whether that's a heavenly sign. Because each sign obviously would have God's help. But like I say, this one is unique in that sense that it's been mentioned in the Holy Quran, in the Bible, and in the sayings of the Holy Prophet, and then found its fulfillment as a proof of the truth of the Imam Mahdi. So it's come only to support the Imam Mahdi. I mean, all prophets get heavenly signs, but it's not just that this is relating to the Imam Mahdi. This is why this particular heavenly sign is so important. 
I'd like to thank everybody for listening for today's program and we look forward to showing you next time in the next class. Thank you very much for this very informative session. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was an amazing lesson and I learned quite a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and I learned so much today about the heavenly science. Yes, I think one of the things which surprised me is that you learned about eclipses. <laughs> so, knowledge is there now. Hopefully, you've learned a bit more about the solar and lunar eclipses. Like I say, it is a remarkable sign. We're very blessed, and this is what convinces us in the truth of the Messiah. So, thank you again for all coming. You have been listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam. And today we have been covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him.